All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we got Zach Mall on, and Zach is just an interesting guy. He's He's got a lot going on. He's super smart. He knows a lot about archery, a lot about hunting. He's had a lot of success in the last few years. Um, Zach and I have known each other uh, on Facebook for a while now, but we've never sat down and actually talked to each other on the phone. So today I wanted to sit down, talk with Zach, and I tell you what, it is a banger of an episode today. Uh, I am so happy with how this podcast went and the conversation that we had um so everybody just sit down strap up it's kind of a long one uh get something to drink you know get ready for a long car ride or something but you're gonna want to hear this whole podcast it was a really good one and again zach i would love to thank you for coming on the podcast so without further ado here is zach mall with move outdoors uh, Zach and I met kind of the same way Gavin and I met through Facebook and a lot of the archery pages. Uh, but Zach is a, a wealth of knowledge. He he knows a lot. He knows how to get things done. He loves to hunt. He's got a passion for it, especially archery hunting. And so today, Zach and I are going to sit down, go over a few things, and uh, just kind of shoot the shit about some archery and bow hunting for the year. Uh, so Zach, without further ado, I'd like to thank you, number one, for coming on and making the time for this. And two, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, uh, let the people know what you do, um, and along with like your YouTube channel that you got going on, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. All right, yeah. Um, so thanks for inviting me on. Uh, <laughs> huge surprise, uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier, but uh, I'm glad you asked. And um, so I am from southeastern Pennsylvania, uh, born and raised here um, in the Keystone State. I've been hunting since I was, oh, I've been tagging along with hunts since pretty much my dad would let me and got my first deer when I was 12, which is pretty much a rite of passage here in Pennsylvania um, with a crossbow. And that kind of kind of started the archery flame in my life. Um, I run a small little youtube channel called move outdoors uh at the time of this podcast we're at about 1400 subscribers nothing nothing too big but uh as you said i i love all things hunting um i go on as many hunting trips i can a year um as many species as i can i kind of have this far off pipe dream of uh completing the north american super slam with uh the bow but we'll see if that's possible with uh, the way tags are going out west <laughs> right um so why don't you kind of dive into what bow you're shooting this year everybody loves to know arrow setup broadhead setup for the year and uh kind of what you got planned for the fall this year at least so i am for the last three seasons now shooting a matthews traverse uh every year when the new bows come out i go and shoot them and i just haven't found a real reason to switch yet nothing's really blown me away to the point that i gotta drop the fourteen hundred dollars that it would be for a new bow um as far as my arrow setup for this year uh i actually dialed it back last year i was shooting 575 grains um on some easton bloodlines with four fletch aae max stealths on the back this year 
I switched from the Eastern Bloodlines to uh, Victory TKOs. Uh, not the RIP TKOs, just the regular TKOs. And I dropped down to about 515 grains or so. Um, and both the Bloodlines and the the TKOs this year, or sorry, the RIPs, that's the proper name, the RIPs. I had to look at them quick. The are going to be topped with a 150 grain VPA broadhead. And for some of my Western trips this fall, I'm also going to throw a handful of severs in my quiver just for long distance follow-up shots or if it's uh, kind of ridiculously windy. So yeah. that, going into that, that but, 515 grain to 530 grain range has got to be like my favorite of the last four or five years or so. It's just, it's such a money area to be, in my opinion, because you get almost the best of both worlds as far as penetration and your speed. Absolutely. And I'm like you, uh, I have T-Rex arms. I got a 27 and a half inch draw length. So speed is never my game, no matter what. Right. Uh, so I'm trying to to maximize my penetration potential and not, you know, not shoot a rainbow at 40 yards. So. Well, and the other thing, like with people who have T-Rex arms like us, a lot of people don't realize, you know, that difference between I shoot like 255 feet per second. OK, I'm not shooting a, a scorcher, but if I drop down to 250 feet per second, I lose like almost 15 yards off my sight tape. Oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that 575, I could not shoot to 100 yards on my spot hog. With this 515, I can get out to like 115. Right. And so like for those longer arm guys that are like 29, 30 inch draw length, losing 10, 15 feet per second to them doesn't matter because they can still shoot 120 yards. To us, yep. you you lose that 10, 15 feet per second. Now my follow-up shot range drastically drops. You know, like if I'm normally confident out to 100, but now I can't shoot past 80, uh and I shoot a deer at 60 yards, like your follow-up range, you only got 20 yards to get another arrow in that animal. So it's kind of a buck a piece, but I, I definitely feel that that 500 to like 525-ish range has got to be like one of the best ranges to kind of be in for people with our T-Rex arms. I, I totally agree. I've been, I've been doing this heavy arrow thing um, for the last uh five seasons now excuse me and i started at uh 650 as you know one does when they first discover ashby and <sighs> qu quickly discovered that i didn't like the arc that that was giving me on my bow so i dropped to 600 i hunted with 600 um for two seasons and it was good but i just there's still a little bit too much of a rainbow in there. And then I dropped to 510 grains three years ago. And I really liked that setup, but I, I decided I was going to beef it back up last fall. And just this spring again, I just kind of sat down and I, I don't know. I think I'm going to stay around that, that, like you said, 515, 525, 530 range. That just seems to be my sweet spot where I like the speed and I like the penetration that I get on it. Right. Exactly. And I wanted to ask you before we dive into what you got planned for the fall. Uh, did you, I, I, 
when I was doing my fletchings this year, I got I was shooting the AAE Max Stealth, three fletch, and I had some four fletch. Did you experience with those heavier arrows any of that parachuting effect, like past fifty yards when you had the four fletch on there? I haven't. I've actually um, kind of swore off three fletch. I guess um, not that I wouldn't go back to it, but four fletch has been treating me so good with those heavy arrows that I've been sticking with it. And I shot tack with this setup that I have this fall um, and 128 yard bison. I was able to hit on the uh, prime course here at the Pennsylvania tack earlier this year. And I mean, there was no real parachuting effect. My sight tape is accurate at a hundred yards. So I haven't, that doesn't mean it's not possible though. <laughs> right yeah i agree i i really really like four fletch four fletch is like one of my favorite things in the last couple of years i've been shooting three fletch and i don't really know how i feel about it but when you shoot such a heavy like those aae max stealths are not light veins no they're, they are heavy veins they're they're very heavy and but they're so quiet they're so quiet that I I'm okay with that little bit of extra weight based on how quiet they are. Um, I just have such a hard time, you know, throwing that one extra vein on there and adding those nine grains that ass into that arrow. Cause I I used to shoot four fletch with, you remember those two inch razor feathers? Yes. I, I shot four fletch with that and I shot those in Hawaii and then I shot four fletch. Um, a a e pm 2.0s the basically the the target version of the max stealth they're just shorter okay and then i shot heat veins on a four fletch also but i hated the heat veins i was not a fan of the aae heat veins um or boning boning heat veins they're they're really really good with field tips once you throw a broadhead on there there's just not enough it's just they're just too small small. they're not stiff enough they're they're too small and they're not stiff enough it's it's a combination of both um they're they're really really good with field tips like really good um but once i switched over to a broadhead i was at the time i was shooting the werewolf single bevel 200 grain which is a a big head and i don't think i'm familiar with that one oh dude those things are the shit (laughs) they are awesome they those werewolf broadheads, they look kind of cheap, but they are not cheap. They they're a really good head and you can buy you can buy them in 6 or 12 packs and the 6 pack is like 60 bucks. And oh, wow. And they are scary sharp. They're and it's it's a good head. It's got an aluminum ferrule which is eh here or there, but the ferrule goes the full length of the blade. So instead of having that ferrule, you know, your first three quarters of an inch, and then you got kind of all that lever arm for the blade on the front end, that ferrule kind of beefs up your whole blade throughout the whole process. It, they're a really, really nice broadhead, um, but they are kind of a bitch to sharpen because they kind of, they kind of got the same design as the, as the Maasai. They kind of got the same blade shape as the Maasai. Um, okay, but they're a pretty good head and the helix, the Strickland helix is probably my favorite single bevel right now. 
um, other than cutthroats, but cutthroats are just like a, you set it and forget it type thing. Yeah. I've still got, um, I've still got two cutthroats left over from, uh, shooting single devils. I've switched, I switched back to a, a three blade, but a beefy three blade with the, the VPA, um, you know, solid one piece, 150 grains. I, I know blood trails are all about where you hit, but I just I ran into a couple situations with the the single bevels where I had the small alien archery um two blades. Yeah. And I just ran into situations where it was it was a good shot, but it was giving me like little pin drops of blood just because the slit would close on itself or like the deer was running and every time it put its shoulder back it would uh kind of block the hole. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had to go back to a three blade just for my own sanity, really. And right. I haven't noticed with my with my setups too much of a difference in penetration. Um, last fall, I was able to go through a white-tailed doe. Um, she was about three yards underneath my stand. Um, and I shot her, and the arrow went through her onside shoulder out the leg on the other side because it was so close. And the arrow actually buried in the dirt because she was so close. There wasn't enough room for my arrow to get fully out of her body. So when she started running, she snapped it off. But I mean, I, it put a massive hole in her leg and did no damage to that VPA. Right. And I'm kind of in the same boat with you as far as two blades. The only real single bevel that I'll even shoot anymore is, is the Strickland Helix. Um, just cause those things penetrate so good. And and they are so, so accurate. And I got a buddy of mine who's shooting Iron Wills right now. And with the Iron Wills, don't get me wrong, that is probably the best broadhead on the market right now. I just have such a yeah. hard I just have such a hard time flinging such an expensive broadhead at a white tail or yeah. even a mule deer. If I'm not getting them for free, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. not that they're not a good broadhead. And I get it that that is the thing that's doing the killing. You shouldn't think like that. But in a world where gas is five dollars and oh, yeah. everything and inflation's eight and a half, 11 percent, whatever it is, I just can't. I just can't bring myself to spend $120 on a six pack or what it's not even 120. It's like 220 for a six pack of broadheads and then shoot a white tail with it and then have to go through the process of, okay, blade is bent if it bends and send the blades, send the broadhead back, get a replacement, yada, yada, yada. I just, I don't have the time for it. I don't really have the patience for it. I'd rather at that point just throw it away and buy another one but you can't do that when you spend so much money on those iron wheels and so that's that is one thing i really like about the severs this year is that those severs basically have the durability of a fixed blade broadhead but the flight of a mechanical and i don't care what people say no matter how well your bow is tuned a mechanical is always going to fly better than a fixed blade yep so um I'm getting ready for the fall and I've been shooting broadheads out at distance at 80 yards. My VPAs, they throw a good group, but it is a bigger group than I get with the severs and the field points at 80 yards. I mean, it's like 
an inch and a half bigger, and I don't plan on shooting those anyway out at 80 yards. But there's definitely uh, a group expansion with fixed blade heads. Uh, I agree. And it and it's not because of like lack of tuning or lack of shooting ability. It's just the science of the broadhead. They're, they're not designed to shoot 80, 90, 100 yards. They're, they're really not designed to shoot much past 50, in my opinion, as far as big f- fixed blades go. It's just not it's just not meant for it. And also when it comes to fixed blades at distance, my big thing with fixed blades at distance is once you get past 40, 50 yards, it really becomes a crapshoot if you're actually going to hit where you want, not because of the size of the blade. But if if that blade nicks a twig or, you know, catches the wind wrong and it's already 50 yards down there. There's no coming back from that. You're either missing or you're hitting a really bad shot that you have no idea where it's going to go. And so yep. I Aaron Snyder seems to swear by these severs for for compounds. And so I'm going to give him a go this year. I got I know a lot of people have said there's not a lot of good bloodletting out of the 1.5s, but to me I don't think it's really going to matter if you put the arrow where it should go you know if if it goes through if it goes through the lungs if it goes to the top of the heart you're gonna get blood whether you're shooting i mean you'll get blood with a field tip if you shoot them in the heart yep it's just the name of the game you know and i i got the uh i got the 150 grain robustos just to stay with my my 150 grain vpas right honestly i might have dropped to 125 grain heads this year uh again going back to if it wasn't for the fact that broadheads are expensive and gas at one point here in Pennsylvania was $5 a gallon. Uh, so I wasn't about to drop 50, 60 bucks on a three pack of broadheads. Right. <laughs> and dude, I was in the same boat. It's it, as something as simple as refletching. You know, I had half my arrows were already set up perfect with three fletch. And I had lost a bunch of fletchings off of some arrows just cause I've been shooting so much this summer. And yep. I was like, okay, I'm going to refletch these ones that, that need to be fletched. And I was like, Oh, should I do four fletch? Oh, but if I do four fletch, I got to strip the wraps, strip the fletchings off the ones that are already done. And then I got to refletch them all. I was like, it's only 30 bucks, but do I really want to spend that 30 bucks on refletching just cause no, not really. And so I just refletched them all as three fletches again. That's the only reason I'm still shooting three fletch with those AAEs right now is because I literally, I had like this epiphany that I wanted to go back to four fletch the day after I refletched all my arrows with three fletch. And I was like, yeah, I'm not oh. I was like, I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to leave them as three fletch. I was like, if, if I lose like three or four fletchings before season or before I go to South Dakota, maybe. Maybe I'll refletch them all with four fletch, but as of right now, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm just gonna leave it the way it is. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how uh, gas prices and inflation have really made me uh, think twice about even those small purchases, like thirty bucks. I just bought game bags for one of my trips this fall, and that was twenty five bucks for a four pack of antimicrobial game bags, and I was like, oh, 
really 25 bucks am i sure a garbage bag won't work <laughs> right yeah and, the, and then you're like ah you know those non-scented garbage bags from walmart sound really good right about now yeah yeah <laughs> you're like and if you want uh aeration i could just poke some holes in it <laughs> that's exactly what i was thinking yeah right. oh god it it's crazy the way the world is it and it's not like you don't have the money for it, but it's almost like you don't want to spend it on there because you don't know what gas is going to do before you start heading out west, you know? And yeah, like I know what gas is doing around my hometown, but I don't know what gas is doing in Montana, you yep. know? So when I go out to Montana, what if, you know, I budgeted X amount of dollars for gas for this trip and you get out to Montana or wherever you're going and gas is double, you know? Then what? You know, now your whole trip is kind of in yep. limbo almost that's what credit cards are for right right <laughs> right <laughs> it's it's a crazy world we're living in right now you know every industry's backed up on everything and things are going through the roof as far as prices but people are still buying so everything's just going to keep going in that trend so i've um i work in the ag industry i work for one of the largest ag manufacturer or ag equipment manufacturers. Um, and we're maintaining record profits despite inflation and talks of recession. And I'm hoping that's, that's a good thing. Uh, at least in terms of like food prices staying somewhat consistent, you know, farmers are still feeling good enough to go out and buy some new equipment. Hopefully that means they're not getting hit too hard. Right. I, I agree. It, it like in my industry, I work in construction and then archery as well. Both industries were experiencing the highest year of profits of any other year. And it's not because people aren't buying or because inflation, it's literally just because people are still buying so much and it, yeah, I don't yep. get it. I don't get the economy. I thought I understood the economy until this shit happened. And now I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going to ride the wave, I guess. Yep. That's exactly where I'm at with that. Well, we kind of went down a little <laughs> yeah. rabbit hole. but That was a little sidetrack. But... <laughs> right. um, so what do you got planned for this fall? Man, I have a busy fall coming up. Um, so in about two and a half weeks, uh, me and a buddy are driving out to Wyoming. We're going to try and chase some mule deer, um, for opening day. I, I really want a velvet muley. Um, it's the same area that I went for pronghorn two years ago and saw a whole bunch of mule deer. I didn't have a mule deer tag in my pocket and I could have shot four or five different bucks over the course of the week, just running into them. Or I was up on a knob at one point glassing and, a like 130 inch mule deer buck just came walking up and bedded down 15 yards from me. I was, I was so upset. I was like, you know, I can't shoot you right now. That's why you're doing this. <laughs> you know, I can't shoot you. Right. But, um, I, we're going to be there from uh season open September 1st. We're getting there August 31st in the afternoon to try and scout hunting through the sixth, going to drive back home to Pennsylvania uh, get home on the 7th. I got to go back to work on the 8th and 9th. And then September 11th, I'm going up to Maine for a black bear hunt with my dad. Um, and then when I come back from that, 
probably going to head down to Maryland, do some Sika deer hunting down in the swamps before the Pennsylvania season opens. Uh, Pennsylvania opens, I think it's October. It's the first Saturday in October. I can't, I can't remember if it's the first or the second this year. I always forget um, that Pennsylvania opens up later than everybody. We're <laughs> kind of weird with it too, because we have special regulation wildlife management units, WMUs, we call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and at three different WMUs throughout the state, they actually open halfway through September. So they open two hmm. weeks before the rest of the state. And I guess it's more for like a deer control thing because it, it's right around Philly and then right around Pittsburgh. So I think right. it's more for deer control, but I really wish our wildlife agency would just open it up mid-September for everybody. Right. But it, I, I Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is a one buck state, right? Yep. One buck state. Uh, a couple years back, there were some rumors circulating that they were talking about adding a bonus antler tag for an extra hundred dollars for residents. Um, and that got shot down real quick. Right. Yeah. I mean, you guys do have really good quality deer up there though. So, I mean, obviously they're doing something right on the management side of it. It, it all happened when they instituted uh, antler restrictions in the early 2000s. Right. I wasn't really hunting then, but my dad said within two or three years, he noticed quite the difference in caliber of bucks. Yeah, so we we always had good quality bucks here in Minnesota for the longest time. And then they implement, because we've had antler restrictions here since like the early 2000s. Yep. And then a couple years ago when CWD hit, Minnesota really hard. I don't know what the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources was thinking, but they removed all antler restrictions and you can get unlimited doe tags now. And that's like all out war on the deer herd. Yeah. Basically what they were trying to do is kill off the deer herd and stop CWD spread, but you and I both know you're never going to stop it. You're just not. No. You just got to let it take its course. No, you're not. Like, just let it do its and, thing. And- it's going to take, I mean, the gestation period of CWD is like, I think it's 16 to 24 months or 18 to 24 months. So it's going to be in the area for that long before you even detect it. So right. imagine how far it's spread beyond that by that point. I, I'm convinced, you know, by the time I'm 60, half the United States is going to be a CWD hotspot. Oh, I agree. Or EHD. Or that, yeah. You know, um, yeah. the the big thing was around here. So they they opened it up to you could only you could still only shoot one buck, but you could shoot unlimited amount of does. Which I feel like that does more damage to your buck population than anything. Because if you shoot a ton of does, no no does are dropping more bucks. Oh yeah, and yep. so our quality of deer went way down for a little while, and then. Like two years ago, three years ago, they decided to implement. They're like, all right, we're going to do a strategy to really attack this CWD issue. And they opened up a, so our season closes on the first of the year. And they opened up a season starting on the sixth, like the first weekend after closing, where you could go out with any weapon and shoot unlimited amount of deer. Well, at that time of year, the bucks don't have antlers. People are out there just buck harvest. A lot of people are just shooting deer and you know, the following year, everybody's like, well, I'm not seeing any bucks. You don't say, 
it, you also yeah. shot you also were the same guy that shot 14 does last winter you know <laughs> so I, I feel like it needs to get i feel like cwd is well studied and well known about but not well managed yeah yeah i mean we've been studying cwd since what the 70s right at this point and it it just keeps spreading yeah it just keeps spreading and in pennsylvania we introduce uh um oh what's it called uh dmas disease disease management areas yeah. and i think we have four dmas across the state right now um but i actually i actually live in one of the dmas they instituted a dma because cwd was found in a captive deer so they basically waged war on the wild deer then just just to make sure it didn't spread and they offer free cwd like drop drop the deer's head off we'll test it and tell you if your deer had cwd or not right and thankfully since i've been living in this this area i haven't had any positives so every but every deer that you shoot in minnesota has to get tested Legal. everyone legally yep so all season at the dnr stations they'll have stations set up in every major town or uh city and if you shoot a deer you have to drive to that nearest town it has to be within 24 hours of harvest so um before it goes to the taxidermist before anything you got to drive to a dnr location you have to wait in a line with your deer in your truck or your car, whatever you're bringing it in, you have to wait in a line. When you when you get to the front of the line, they basically will cut the cape, uh, like right in the cheekbone, and pull oh. cheek cheekbone meat out, and then write your name down, your address, your phone number, and then you're good to go, and you can leave. I bet the taxidermists hate that. Oh, it's it's awful because I mean some of them, like the lady that did my buck two years ago that did the CWD testing on it, she was really, really good. She did it from the bottom side of the cheek, so like almost like the bottom of the jaw. So she slid it along the jaw. So the taxidermist was able to just sew that right up and blend it into the jawline. Yep. So that worked out, you know, that was fine. But like all the does that I shot, they just fucking jab that knife right into the side of the cheek, open up a hole, pull some meat out, and you're off. Jeez. It's like, dude, I can't imagine if I shot like a Boone and Crockett and the guy that I get was just having a bad day and just <laughs> butchers my cape, you know? Oh, that, my God. That's fighting words right there. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. And the CWD thing right now is just... It's such a hot topic, you know. I mean, shoot, you still have people that think that you can get CWD from eating a CWD deer. You know how many CWD deer we've probably eaten in our life? Oh, so so many. Even the ones that I send off to the PGC and they tell me, this deer didn't have CWD. The card that they give you has like a little uh, kind of small written script on the bottom that says, just because this deer did not test positive does not mean that this deer did not have CWD. Right, exactly. It's like, it's like COVID <laughs> testing, dude. It's, it's like, oh, you can have it and not have any symptoms. They can have it and have tons of symptoms. It, it is what it is. It, I have always looked at CWD, EHD, blue tongue, 
all that stuff, I've always looked at it as mother nature is going to do what mother nature is going to do. You know, us as humans, as much as we want to put our finger in the cookie jar every single time, you're never going to stop it. You know, same thing with COVID, you know, when COVID went around, mother nature is going to do its thing. It like, it's just going to happen, you know, either, you know, some, some things are going to die. Some things are going to survive. And at the end of the day, all of our immune systems are going to adjust to it and life is going to go on. It, it's just the way it works. And us as humans, I think have so much of like almost a, I hate to say God complex, but it's almost a God complex of like, Hey, we need to find a solution to this. Some things you just can't solve. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Yeah. It's just, sometimes you just got to get your hand out of the cookie jar. Let, let nature do its course. That sounds harsh, especially when it comes to COVID because so many people died, but at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes you just nature's going to do and nature's going to do. Mother nature's a, a bad son of a bitch. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'll probably get some flack from this from your listeners, but like, that's kind of how I feel when people uh, post like a picture of a coyote with a fawn and they're like, you need to kill them all. I'm like, well, you know, they're just trying to kind of trying to eat just like we are. Right. So, exactly. It, it, it's the same thing. I mean, there's definitely a carrying capacity there, but like, other stuff's allowed to eat deer besides humans. Right. Like there's a carrying capacity to everything, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, we shoot deer to keep more deer around. We shoot predators yeah. to keep more deer around, but also us shooting predators keeps the predators in check so that we can keep the deer in check. You know, it's, yep. it's all a cycle, right? It, otherwise you end up like the native Americans that would just go run a whole herd of Buffalo off the side of a cliff. And then the next year they're like, why aren't there any Buffalo? Well, you killed them all. Okay. (laughs) There's, there's give and take to all this stuff. Would I love to shoot three bucks a year in my home state? Yeah. But I understand why I can't, you know, there's carrying capacity to everything. And that's why it's just so important that I think the DNR takes this stuff a little bit more seriously as far as CWD goes and not necessarily worry about CWD, but worry about managing numbers better, you know, having higher quality deer because those areas where you can shoot unlimited does in my state now that used to have antler restrictions, no longer have antler restrictions. I would like if I lived in those areas or was looking to hunt uh, Minnesota, I would stay as far away from those areas as possible, honestly, because that just sounds like. You're going to deal with a ton of people who are out there just laying waste to everything. It's going to be hard to find mature animals or really even animals in general if they're laying that much of a waste to them. Right. And I live in one of those areas, you know, basically the whole southeastern side of the state is is a CWD management zone where there's no antler restrictions. And that's my primary hunting zone. And I still run into big bucks every single year. But the hard part about it is that. On my property, which is 100 acres, yeah, I can manage for big deer and only shoot four-year-olds, but will my neighbor? You know? Yeah. That's what makes it hard, you know? So there's a give and take. And, you know, I'm never going to knock somebody for shooting something that makes them happy. Like, if you shoot a little spike and that makes you happy, go for it, you know? Yeah. But if I'm out here looking for big bucks... And all my neighbors are shooting the ones that are spikes. Yeah, I'm going to be a little upset. 
<laughs> but I'm not yep. going to knock you because you're shooting spikes. If that's what you make going to make you happy. I, I totally agree. Like, um, I'm not going to lie. I was that neighbor for a little while. I actually, I didn't shoot a buck from the time my, my first year was a buck when I was 12. I didn't shoot another buck until I was 20. So I'm 25 now. I've gotten, uh, seven or eight bucks. I think seven, seven bucks in the last five years across two States, um, Pennsylvania and, and Michigan. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I, I wasn't for a little while there just in like, let's get more bucks on the ground. Right. But now, now that I'm a, I'm a couple years in, I've kind of, kind of filled that urge to put the small ones on the wall this year. I've got a goal for myself that I'm not shooting anything, um, under two and a half on public near my house and nothing under three and a half on private. Right. And really for public, the two and a half is going to be like a, like a desperation style. Um, right. I, I'm trying to target mature animals this fall. This is going to sound so bad, but um, <laughs> in Minnesota, I've shot some good deer. Um, but the last few years, I've been so focused on what I'm doing out west that I just whack the first two deer I see in Minnesota Man. now. I it it sounds so bad, but I just I love shooting big deer, and I I held out two years ago and shot a really really nice deer. But on public land near my house, if a doe walks up, I'm gonna whack it. If a if I only have my state's a one buck state. If if a nice four pointer comes out on public land, even though I got these one fifties on camera, I'm probably going to whack it just so that I can go back out West and do something out West again. And man, I caught so much flack after I came back from uh, my first trip out West when I said whitetails are boring <laughs> and I got so much hate from my hunting buddies about that, but there is just something, something that like pulls me to that kind of spot and stock, like, more engaged style of hunting rather than sit there in a tree stand and wait four hours and hope the buck you want comes by. Right. You know what it is, right? It's because we have ADHD. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it yeah. is. And, um, cause I, I feel the same way, you know, don't get me wrong. I love hunting whitetails. There's a lot of people same. out West that want to come out and hunt whitetails in the Midwest or out east in Pennsylvania, Ohio, stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of people that want to do that. But for guys like us that grew up doing it at this stage in our life, if we've decided that we are bow hunters, we are going to be hunters, we know so much about them that it almost becomes boring and easy because it's it's not a question of where I'm going to hunt anymore. You know, you you can yeah. you can open up Onyx, you can go, okay, there's a nice little saddle here. That's a funnel. I'm going to set up right there. Buck's probably going to come by first week in November. I'm going to have an opportunity. Am I going to kill a deer? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to see deer. Yep. And I think that's what makes it kind of boring compared to the Western stuff is like out West, you kind of make or break your success. You know, if you spot a deer... It's up to you to decide if you're going to stalk that deer, if you're going to blow that stock, if you're going to have a successful stock, if you're going to decide to, you know, bed that deer, come back for him the next day. You don't get that opportunity sitting in a tree stand. Nope. 
no, I, I absolutely agree. Honestly, the, the most fun I've had whitetail hunting in the last few years was two years ago in Michigan. Work sent me on a trip to like Southeast Michigan and I just, I took my bow and I said, okay, once I'm done working, I'm, I'm going to go hunting and just being forced to like learn the Michigan public land around where I was, was really fun. Cause it just kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone and, and, and forced me to think differently than the way I had hunting Southeast Pennsylvania. And I actually ended up seeing the biggest buck I've ever seen in a hunting situation on public land in Southeast Michigan. And it was 140 inch 10 point and he came in he got to like 12 yards behind me and the way big mature animals typically do there's a deer trail to the right of my tree that i'm expecting him to walk down and the wind is blowing just off that trail and he is walking down the trail and he gets like 20 yards behind me and just turns and walks right into the wind smells me and never gives me a shot he just like runs up around and never saw him again during the rest of the time. But a couple days later, um, scouting a little bit farther back into that swamp that I was in, I ended up killing about a, an 80 inch eight point, but all the guys that I was working with that are from that area just couldn't believe that I went out and harvested a buck on public land. They're like, we can't do that in a full season. You did it in two weeks. And, <laughs> and I kind of think, I kind of think that's because of like, being forced to relearn the property right because you do you do get comfortable in properties well i know the deer move in in this section of the property if i sit there on october 28th i'm gonna see bucks and probably a doe chasing a buck and or a buck chasing a doe and you, you just kind of learn to you, you expect things from the property but me yeah. coming in fresh made it fun and, and kind of kept it new for me Right. Exactly. Which I think is the whole reason I was able to get opportunities. Right. And if you're in a, if you're in a state where the does are chasing bucks, you're probably, in. Oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're probably, you're probably in a blue state. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's one of those, uh, those antler does you hear about every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, she's like, Oh, you think you're the pitcher? Nope. Not today, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get you. <laughs> Um, I think those are more common in blue states, though. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but like you, like you said, you do get comfortable in properties. And I think another thing to add to that is when you do switch over to a new property, one thing that I think makes a huge difference is that I feel like you're a little bit more inclined to take risks that you wouldn't take on a property that you're comfortable with. So, you know, absolutely. You, Oh, I know that there's a bedding area right here. It's public land. I got three more days left. Maybe I'm going to push up right up on that bedding area, you know, and then boom, you have just a banger hunt and, and you see a bunch of deer, you get a nice opportunity at a buck and you're, you're putting your, but there's something in our subconscious when you're hunting that property that you really know where you, you know, maybe four years ago when you were less experienced, you pushed into a zone when you shouldn't have. And now your mind, almost like target panic, just blocks you from going that extra little oomph that you need to, uh, you know, push into those spots in those in those properties that you really know, like the back of your hand. And that's one thing that coming into 
the Minnesota seasons, I, I have a hundred acres of private land that's in some of the best country in Minnesota. And I still choose to hunt public land just cause I feel like I become a better, more knowledgeable hunter hunting the public land. And then if I have to, I'll go hunt the private, but I like hunting the public cause it's something new every time, you know, you got to worry about other hunters. You got to worry about in my area, a lot of our public land that's deer hunting. There's a lot of pheasant hunters that go to the same spots. So a lot of the times you'll be deer hunting and you'll have pheasant hunters walk by. Well, now what do I do? How do I combat that? You know? And so there is something to be said about, you know, like those hunting public guys. I think the reason they get it done so consistently on public land is because they're changing properties so often that they're just taking the risks. They're taking that risk. I absolutely agree. And, and those guys have a luxury. I mean, a lot of people want to be the hunting public, uh, myself included, honestly, but those guys have the luxury of like, with how much hunting they can do in a year, they pack the knowledge of learning properties that you and I might get in like three or four years into one season. Right. Well, and, and they got, and, and that's got why like those guys are seven. so deadly. Yeah. And they got like six or seven guys breaking apart every property, you know, like yeah. if one of them is going to hunt this piece of public, all of them are going to look into that property and go, this is what I would do. This is what I would do. And then they kind of just, you know, put their mind together and then they hunt that property with a conglomeration of, you know, four people's knowledge, not just one. Yep. And, and that's why I, I think surrounding yourself with, with good knowledgeable hunters and, and people you can trust to actually break down a property like that is huge. Cause I mean, here in Pennsylvania and I'm sure it's the same way in in any other state, if you tell the wrong guy, about where you're hunting or where you saw a deer or an elk or what have you, that place is going to be blown up for forever. Oh, a hundred percent. And there's a lot of times where like, I hate to be that guy, but you know, I'm hunting in one spot and somebody's like, well, where have you been hunting? And I don't, I'm not telling them. I'll tell them a place that's 30 miles away. I, I actually, I think I irritate some of my friends with that. Um, especially my close hunting friends, I kind of have a policy where if you're going to come to the property with me and scout with me, you can know where I'm hunting. If you're not willing to put in the work that I am putting in and you just want me to tell you where to go hunt, I'm not doing that. Right. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And you know, I got really lucky this year with, I I do want to talk about your Michigan hunt. So let's put a pin in that. Um, Okay. But Uh, I did have the luxury this year of when I drew that South Dakota tag, I posted on a couple pages about drawing a South Dakota tag and I had a guy DM me about it and he hunts that tag every single year for the last 15 years. And that's awesome. And he's like, here's the deal, man. You're going out solo. You're doing it by yourself. I go out with a group of five guys. We've been hunting it for 15 years. I know everything about this area. I see lots of bucks. Uh, We kill deer very consistently out here. He goes, I'm going to get you set up on the right track, but just don't screw me over. You know, that's a good dude. And I was like, I'm not going to screw you over. I'm going out solo. I'm, I, I want an opportunity. He goes, I will make sure that you get opportunities 
but I'm telling you in the last 15 years, I've never ran into another hunter in these areas. And if in four years I start running into people in these areas, I'm going to be a little upset. I am. He would have every right to be. And I, I, I got I a just, little lucky. I, I had the same thing happen actually this year myself with the, the Wyoming tags, me and a buddy drew, I got a message from a guy who, lived in that area and actually guided in that area on the public land for a long time. And he didn't give me spots. Um, he moved back to, he, he lives in Michigan. He moved back to Michigan and he, he didn't give me exact spots, which I wouldn't expect him to, nor would I ask for that. Um, but he did give me like, this is the property. And if you go, this far back on the property, there's a Creek bed. It might be dry, but I can guarantee there's, 160 inch buck in that in that creek drainage somewhere right and and those are guys that you know you gotta kind of pay it forward you know do your due diligence to make sure you're not telling other people about that you know and um this guy he uh he went as far to he was dropping me pins he was dropping me on x pins of his dang he's like He's like, here's some pins. He goes, check these spots out. You won't be disappointed in these spots and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to do this. I was just kind of looking for like some general information. He goes, no, I told you I'd help you out. We're, you'll get on a deer. He goes, you're solo. You're doing this the hard way. You know, he's like, it's not going to be easy, but if I can get you set up so that you can at least get a stock a day, you know, we'll, we'll do it, you know? And I'd never met the guy in my life. He calls me like once a week. We talk about stuff, strategies and where I'm going, where they're going. He's actually going to be in South Dakota the same week that I'm in South Dakota. So if they tag out early, they're going to come hunt with me. They're gonna, I think uh, they're going to swing no up and hunt what, with you me. owe that guy a couple beers. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. He's like, he's like, yeah, if we take out early, just, I'll shoot you a text and we'll swing up and we'll help you get on a deer and, and get it done. I was like, that's, dude, I, I appreciate awesome. it. And so I'm that, I think that little blurb of having that interaction with another bow hunter out there is making me more excited than anything for that hunt. You know, absolutely. other than, you know, the opportunity that I get to go out and harvest an animal, but being able to run into other hunters that really care about, you know, having an experience, but also giving an experience. Yep. Uh, so and, let, and go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna switch topics. So if you wanna, um, no, no, your, no, no, we're okay. good. All right, sounds good. Um, so Michigan, let's go back to Michigan and your first Wyoming trip for antelope that you did. Being that you film and you mostly do some solo stuff. Yep. What what is kind of your game plan going into your fall? Obviously, from Pennsylvania to Wyoming, you're not going to be able to drive out there and scout every single weekend type thing. How do you how do you run your game plan? And then what do you do when you actually get there and, you know, you have a game plan, you get to a spot. It's not what you expected and you need to change your game plan up. What kind of let's walk through that process. So. Uh, yeah, obviously Pennsylvania to Wyoming, it's about a 26 hour drive. So every time I head out West, I'm, I'm going in blind, um, aside from aerial scouting. So 
I spend probably two to three hours each night just scouting different places I'm looking to hunt on Onyx, uh, Google Maps, kind of looking at weather patterns, weather history. Um, Wyoming's a little bit of a special case because they have a lot of private roads that run through or to public that you can't access. So I have to go on to um, the county website and download a public use roadmap and make sure that I'm following that. Right. Uh, And specifically with with Wyoming, um, we're going to be hunting not the mountains. We're going to be more uh, prairie, the, the open prairie. And specifically with that, what I'm looking for when I'm doing e-scouting is high vantage points looking over water. And it's a huge plus if I go on Google Earth and I can't see the uh, water or the area that I really want to look into from the road. Because I think if you can get just a little ways off the road, the amount of animals and the the amount of... The amount of animals increases by a lot and the amount of humans decreases by a lot. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I agree. So that's what I did um, for both this Wyoming trip, which is going to be for for mule deer this fall. And then two years ago, it was for pronghorn in roughly the same area. Um, And on that trip, I went out there and I actually picked the, the biggest property in the unit that I had a tag for and pinpointed a couple water holes on it, got up high and started glassing the first night I was there. And I found out that all of those water holes were dry. There was not a drop of water on that property. So with it being a hundred and some degrees, I knew the antelope were going to need water. So I changed game plans and just started driving around the unit to other uh, sections of public land that I could access because Wyoming has a ton of landlocked public land. Um, and any section I had marked that had water on it or like water on the private land right next to it, I was going to check it out. And it took till the third property to find water on public land. But when I found the water and walked up to, to the pond, this this was about midday. There were no animals nearby. Um, I walked up to the pond and there were just tracks all over it. So then it was a matter of, okay, let's get up high. I know there's animals on this piece of property. I just need to find them. Right. Um, so go up to a glassing knob, locate a buck that I wanted to stock. And I blew so many stocks on that trip. I don't know why I thought, chasing pronghorn spot and stock with my bow would be like a great first trip out west um <laughs> it was a steep learning curve i i guess i'm a glutton for punishment i don't know <laughs> well and the thing with like pronghorn you watch a lot of pronghorn hunting videos and it looks so easy it does they make it look so easy i bought the um i i bought that what was it stalker decoy the one you like stick on the front of your bow yeah with some velcro uh-huh. And I watched a ton of videos of guys just like sticking that on the front of their bow and just walking up to the thing and shooting it at 30 yards. Every time I put that decoy on the front of my bow, the first pronghorn that saw me turned around and ran in the opposite direction and took the rest of the herd with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and 
Well, they make it look so easy, but I think people forget like goat species have way better eyesight than deer species. Way Dude, better eyesight. I had heard about how good their eyesight was. I didn't realize that how good it truly was until I was 700 yards from uh, a group of pronghorn with a nice buck in it that I wanted to stalk. I was 700 yards away and I was like, there's about a hundred yards of wide open where I knew they were going to be able to see me going in between coolies to, or dry Creek beds to try and try and get up to them. Right. They picked me off at 700 yards and ran away. Like, like it was nothing like it was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I could barely see them through the binoculars and they, they just, next thing I know, they're all just running up over the hill. Yeah. And I knew it had to be me. The wind was in the right direction. Like the only option was that they saw me. Right. And so the, it really just boils down to, you know, some of these animals are just really, they know their shit just as much as we know our shit, you know, <laughs> they just, they are. And I really realized that by the end of that trip, I did end up getting, um, I ended up getting shots on, uh, three different days. So one of the days I got a shot on a buck, but I ranged him and he was at 50. And when I drew the bow back, he ran a little bit and I didn't guess properly how far he went. I was guessing he was 65 and I held 65 released. It felt good. And the arrow went right underneath his belly and I ranged him and he was like 72. Oh yeah. You'll have that. Yeah. So one nice thing, since you're going for mule deer now, if you do that, don't freak out. The deer is going to run 20 yards and stop again. So as soon as you shoot and miss, just re knock another arrow and get ready and just add 20 yards Yep, and and get ready to launch another one because he ain't going very far. Pronghorn at the opposite. He's like, oh, I'm getting out of mm-hmm. here. And next thing you know, he's three counties over. I mean, whitetails are the same way. You know, oh, yeah. Whitetail, yep. you get they get a sniff of you and they're two counties away and nocturnal for the rest of the season. Yeah, I so the tag I had that time was for either sex. And towards the end of the trip, I, I was getting getting a little beat up and there were there was a group of two does and a fawn antelope in a really stockable location. And I actually got three shots on this one uh, doe antelope. And this was like the most traumatic, but also one of the biggest learning experiences I've had while, while hunting and, and was like a huge lesson for travel hunts. I hadn't checked my bow since the day I got there. I just checked it to make sure it was still good. And I didn't have any witness marks on anything. And I shot at this doe antelope three times. She was at 45 yards and I missed her every time. And I could not figure out why I like my sight was good. Everything was fine. I go back to the truck, pull the target out of the truck, set the target at 30 yards and I'm eight inches low at 30 yards. It turns out my peep got moved about an eighth of an inch out of place. And I had to, had to move it back. And that was like, such a i i felt like such an idiot in that moment but looking back it was it was i'm not gonna say i'm glad that it happened but it was a real eye opener because now i put witness marks on everything on my bow and it was such a good reminder to constantly check it 
So I put witness marks on everything. And then on top of that, for my site and my rest, I take pictures of where they're set. You know how you got your little tick marks on your rest? That's a good idea. I should do that. I take pictures of it and then I put it in a secure folder on my phone. It's not that I really care if anybody knows where it is, but that way I can easily find it if I need to. I don't have to scroll through hundreds of pictures to find it. I can just yeah, go to secure it, folder. Boom. There's my site, my rest, and I can check everything. You know, what tick mark is it on compared to, you know, cause let's say you make your witness mark and then you go out and shoot three days later and you're like, eh, you know, maybe I am a little bit right, you know, and you make some adjustments and then you take a picture. Well, now I don't have to do a new witness mark. I can use that witness mark as a, as a reference to the picture and go, okay, this is where I need to be. I, I should start doing that. I really should. And I take a white um, Sharpie and I mark right in the center of my peep on where my string meets before I tie my peep. So that if I ever, if my peep ever does move, I can see the white Sharpie. That's, I do the same thing. Well, I, I use a silver Sharpie, but same, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Um. Yeah. The, <laughs> that trip was a big learning experience and, and, to, to what you had said, trying to film for that. Uh, if anybody goes and checks out my YouTube channel, you're not going to see any footage from that Wyoming trip. Um, I did film a lot on that trip, but I, I felt the footage was, was too boring. And I guess, you know, as archers, we all have a little bit of pride. And at the time, I was like too embarrassed to the fact that I had missed these pronghorn. So I decided not to upload the video at all. And I went through and actually like deleted all the videos of my shots because I, I got home and I just sat there and was watching them and watching them and watching them and just, just wishing I could, could take it back. So I had to delete those videos just to get past it myself. <laughs> right. It, and it's, it's just one of those things, you know, sometimes like it's so popular nowadays that, People want to see that boring stuff now. So like now looking back on it, you're probably like, dang, you know, I probably should oh, have posted I'm, that. I'm kicking myself for not doing it. So th this year for Wyoming, I plan on doing kind of like the hunting public does where uh, I think I'm going to upload a video for each day that we're out there. And then hopefully Ryan and I both tag some mule deer and then um, I'll probably do like a much more, edited kind of trimmed down version later on right exactly. and hopefully by the time your listeners are hearing this they can go watch uh me or ryan put down a nice mule deer on the exactly <laughs> yeah that's the plan right that's the plan um, i hope so so now going so that was wyoming now let's yep. switch gears to michigan what was kind of your game plan obviously you know you have whitetail experience so you're not totally lost yep at that point you're not totally lost you're not in the weeds you kind of know what's going on you got your gear with you you're in familiar territory let's put it that way you know you're in familiar territory what did your scouting situation look like for that trip so uh same thing went in sight unseen with a bunch of aerial scouting pins what i was focusing on for the aerial scouting for that um there was a lot of swamps in that area. So what I was looking for was small sections of dry land 
between swamps. Like the tighter the pinch point and the more isolated it was, the better in my mind, because I was looking to catch deer moving from one swamp to the next or from swamp to dry land. Right. So uh, the first night I was on that, uh, I was out there and was able to go hunting. I quickly realized that most of my pins were useless. Um, the understory in there looked way different than I expected it to. I was expecting kind of a brushy understory like is here in Pennsylvania mixed in with like some hardwoods. Instead, it was all like marsh grass almost in the understory. Um, so I was super unfamiliar with that. I spent um, two or three days trying to to really narrow down how the deer were traveling through that. And I found that I just, I couldn't do it. So what I went about doing then was I found all the access points to the property that I was, I was mostly focusing on hunting. And the one day after work, I got done. It was too late to actually go in for a hunt. So I just drove around the public land and I marked every access point that I saw a truck and then deleted them off of Onyx because I said, okay, those are where other guys are keying in on where would be an overlooked hard to access spot. And there was a couple small parking lots. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, There's a couple small parking lots that were really uh, grown over with grass. So I knew people weren't really using them. So what I started doing then was I parked in, in those parking spots. And instead of taking what little bit of a human trail there was, I got right off the human trail and found the closest deer trail to it and started walking the deer trail and tried to go back and find bedding. Right. And as soon as I did that, I started finding deer. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, what was it? The f second night that I did that, I did a big scouting loop on those trails. I located quite a few rubs and scrapes, actually more rubs and scrapes than I typically find here in Pennsylvania. Um, I think probably just because there's there, there was less land for them to actually make it on with how much swamp there was. Right. Uh, but I, I located an area where it was, it was a transition from really thick understory, like stuff I would have had to crawl through into open acorns. And I sat on that transition and I had three does come up and go right underneath my stand. And I was, it, I was about a week into my trip. And to be honest, I was debating shooting one of those does. And thankfully the the lead doe busted me as i was grabbing my bow <laughs> <laughs> and i'm really glad she did because um the next day i said okay i blew that spot up after work i i went in to one of the other parking lots and kind of scouted around a little bit and i was only 60 or 70 yards off the parking lot and i started hitting a ton of really fresh buck sign so i got up in a tree and it wasn't 15 minutes later that I was in that tree that I started hearing a buck making a rub and a scrape about 60 yards away. But it was so thick, I couldn't see it. Right. And that 
buck over the next hour and a half just slowly walked that like 50 yards up the hill and skirted me just in the thick stuff past where I could shoot him. And funny enough, it was actually, and I have video evidence that proves it, it was actually the buck that I shot about seven days later, eight days later. But um, I recognized that as a good spot then and kind of kind of keyed in on that. The next time I was able to hunt that, which was about two or three days later, obviously waiting for the right winds to go in to each of these spots. Um, I, I pushed down towards where the buck was making the scrape and got up in a tree and I did some light rattling. And that's actually when that, the 10 point came in behind me. He came in to, to just, just a little bit of light rattling. And I think he was bedded. uh, How would I describe this hillside? It was a mostly thick hillside, but there was some open pockets, but it led to a small little branch out into the swamp that kind of, uh, kind of J hooked out in the swamp. Oh, so kind of buck... like a, like a saddle that went into the swamp almost kind of. Yeah. Or like a bench, yeah. like a bench that went into the yeah. swamp almost. Yeah. More, more of a bench going out into the swamp and, and he came out off that bench and I mean, he busted me and I blew him out, but I, I gave it, it was two more days until I could hunt again. And the last, the last two days I hunted, then I pushed all the way back in there. And that goes back to what we were discussing earlier. I was limited on time. And honestly, I don't know that I would have done that if I was hunting here in Pennsylvania. I, I honestly think I would have been too afraid to do it. Right. But I pushed back there. And the first night that I sat there, I had two bucks come out. And uh, one of them was the buck that I actually ended up shooting. But I shot at him and my arrow deflected off a branch that I couldn't see. It was right at last light and went like six inches over his back. But he only ran like 25 yards and then just started blowing at me. So the next day was a Saturday. It was October 31st. Yeah. October 31st, it was Halloween. And with it being Saturday, we weren't working. So I made a plan to get back in that exact same tree I was in the night before, right, wrong, or indifferent, and sit it all day. And I got in that that stand super early in the morning, and I did not see a single deer until noon or 1 o'clock. Oof, that's always tough. That's so tough. It, so when I finally saw that deer, it was like it, it was a little ways away. So I actually climbed down and started scouting around. I packed up all my stuff. I scouted around and said, I'm going to see if there's a better location for me to set up tonight, because clearly this this was like a waste of a morning, in my opinion. Right. And I spent about two hours scouting the rest of the property. And the best sign that I found was right by that tree that I sat in that morning. So I got back up in the tree and about an hour before dark, I threw out a, another rattling sequence just to just to kind of mask the sounds of me walking around and, and 
all the ground sin, kind of hopefully try and trick some deer. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't 30 seconds later, I look back behind me and an 85 inch eight points coming my way, walking perfectly right down the line, grunting like the entire way. And he got to 30 yards and I, I put one through, um, through the front of his lungs. That shot was actually a little bit forward. Um, you know, they call heavy arrows plan B arrows. That was a 510 grain setup with a little two blade, but I actually broke, I guess it'd be the humerus bone mm -hmm. on that buck and got about eight inches of penetration, which was enough to pop both lungs. And he bled out internally and only ran about 80 yards, not a drop of blood going to him, but he was piled up 80 yards later. And it was too dark. You didn't see him crash. Did you? He actually just got out of my view. So I shot him about, about an hour before dark. I, Cause um, I, I remember watching your video on it. I, yeah, I watched when, your video on it and I think you posted in a Facebook page, kind of a breakdown, like a slow-mo shot of your shot and like what your arrow did. And I remember watching this. Like I very vividly remember you watch uh, you shooting this deer and I just remember the footage was pretty dark. So I knew that you had to be pretty close to, to dusk time. Cause you know, as well as I do, those cameras don't pick up those low light situations. Very no, well. no. So, so yeah, I should clarify. It was, it was an hour before legal shoot a half hour before dark. Okay. Yeah. Not dark sundown. Right. Um, and I, so that footage that you're talking about, I know exactly which footage you're talking about. Um, that was probably from the Tacticam, which is horrible at bringing in light. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it makes everything look so much darker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he went 80 yards um, just out of sight. He fell down and, and I was confused as to what had happened there. And just because I went down to look at the arrow and I started freaking out because I couldn't find the arrow and I couldn't find blood, which I think is when I posted the slow-mo video. Um, And when I posted that, I can't remember who, but somebody pointed out that the arrow had actually snapped off when he started running and kind of went flying in, in another direction. And right. it just so happened that, that some random guy had walked back and <laughs> ran into me as I was like looking for the deer. He found the back half of my arrow and just pointed out that there were some, some hoof tracks in the wet, like running hoof tracks in the wet leaves. And we just followed the hoof tracks, 80 yards to the deer. He was just piled up. And the guy honestly said, I walked within 15 feet of this thing when I walked in and didn't see it. <laughs> uh, dude i'm telling you onyx base maps go hunt maps so whoever y'all need to make an underbrush layer dude, i want to yes. see what that shit looks like i want to be able to click on a piece of public and get a picture of the underbrush <laughs> i i would do i would pay twice what i'm currently paying for onyx for that feature <laughs> dude, i, I so swear I. to god i would Oh, that'd be so nice, but it almost be too easy though. You know, it almost be too easy. 
it kind of would because there's been a couple spots i've scouted where i'm like this is going to be great and i walk in there and it's just open like, hardwoods as far as i can see and i'm like this is crap uh, yeah this is awful <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know what i find to be really really useful though sometimes if you get lucky especially out west like let's say you're you're uh looking at a mountain range or a prairie or something like that and you're using google earth along with your onyx or i use base maps uh, or you're using base maps and you're scouting these areas. And if you're on Google Earth, you can hit photos mode. And if you zoom in close enough, sometimes there's a photo that somebody has taken of that area. Um, Ooh. In and then posted it to Google. And you can zoom in and you can click on that photo and get a picture of what that country actually looks like. It might not be the exact spot that you're looking at, but it's going to be, you know, maybe within gives you an idea. five, six miles of that area. You can get an idea of, all right, is this grasslands? Is this junipers? Is this uh, like, what is this? Sage? Like, what is yeah, it? Yeah. I, I can see brush, but I don't know if these are big bushes. Are these trees? What are they? You know, and so a lot of times I'll turn that photo mode on on Google Earth and I'll zoom way in and I'll just like slowly scroll until one of the photo icons pops up and I'll click on that photo and I'll look at any photo uh, within like a five mile radius of there and try to get an idea of what that area kind of what the lay of the land kind of looks like, you know. Uh, are these yep. actually huntable? Are these, do they look huntable and they're kind of crap? Like what, what do I got going on here? So I would definitely utilize that. That saves me more times than not. I'm going to have to start looking into that. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually found that out on accident. I was uh, going to go out to Utah and mule deer hunt a few years back and I was scouting a mountain. I'm not going to say where it is. I'll tell you off off podcast, but I was scouting a mountain that was pretty close to a populated area. And, but it was so far of a hike to get to this certain bowl that I was looking at. Um, but I knew that there was a hiking trail that went along this, along one of the sistering mountains. And I was like, well, I wonder if somebody happened to get up to the peak, take a picture and has a picture of this bowl in it. And so I was like Googling the peak name and I had, so I have three monitors on my computer. So I had Google earth up on one. I had base maps up on the other. And then I had Google open searching that peak. And I, I had misclicked and I was on the Google earth tab and I thought I was on my Google browser and I hit photos and a photo popped up, like a little image of a picture popped up. So obviously I'm going to click on it. I clicked on it yeah. and sure enough, there was a picture of that bowl on Google. That's And I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. And I looked at it and I looked at it compared to the map to make sure that I was looking at the right bowl. Because the, the one thing with that photo thing, the photo will show you like roughly where the picture was taken but it won't show you which way they were facing when they took it. So you kind of have so to, that's where, that's where like you knowing your topography uh, kind of comes yep. in to play. You kind of got to look at it and figure out which way they were facing or which way they were looking. And so you kind of break it down and you can almost stand exactly where they were. And there's a lot of people 
that they like to fly their drones and their drones Ooh. will fly around and take photos and then they'll post those photos. So it might be a situation where you see a photo that's somewhere like 10 miles into the backcountry, and you're like, who the hell is taking a photo and putting it on Google 10 miles into the backcountry? When in reality, they're standing on the road and they're flying overhead with their drone, snapping pictures of these mountain ranges. That's a real pro tip. And so you go onto Google Earth and you can find these photos and you can almost dissect them and figure out what bowls these photos are looking into, especially the drone photos. And it it's almost like Google Earth, but better because you can see actual photos of it i might have to do that for uh where i'm gonna be in wyoming yeah it's super <laughs> it's super super useful i i've gained a lot of information you know i spent like four or five days i didn't i don't think i told you this before the podcast but i had literally my first nine spots picked out in south dakota this year and then the guy that has been giving me info he's like hey uh i just got an email that they changed uh, one of the laws in one of the areas that I dropped you a pin is now a limited uh, access, like uh, only five non-resident tags where it used to oh. be part, where it used to be part of the statewide thing. And I was like, well, what unit is it? He tells me the number and I look it up and sure as shit, dude, the whole unit that I had just scouted for the last month and a half, I just found out today is now a, a draw unit and I can't hunt it. That's so I've literally been scouting this unit for a month and now I can't hunt it. However, I always scout the surrounding units too. Cause sometimes I try to find, you know, maybe the access to that one unit is like a five mile hike. But if I access it from the unit to the North, it's only a three mile hike. Yep. So I always scout the units around it too. Well, the unit just to the North of that is still in the statewide area and it's pretty much the same terrain. So uh, I'm going to start breaking that one down a little bit too and, and see if I can pull something together there and, uh, and figure it out. But I tell you what, you use Google Earth and then you hit the, the three dashed lines at the top and you hit photos and you scroll around. You'll find some stuff that you're like, what in the world? This is invaluable information. I'm going to have to check that out for uh, Wyoming and then for my Indiana trip this year. Yeah, you should also, for Wyoming, I meant to say this to you earlier, you should reach, have you talked to Gavin? No, not yet. Actually, when I listened to to uh, your podcast with Gavin, it popped in my head that I should contact him and, and kind of ask him if he's hunted that area. Because I'm not He's hunted the whole state. He's hunted the whole far. state pretty much. He hunts, he oh, hunts a lot on that, on that northwest, north central, and northeast side of Wyoming. Uh, so yep. he does, he knows a lot about those areas and he, he knows a ton. Like he's an elk nut, but that guy can get it done on mule deer. He knows a lot about the mule deer in the area. Um, but I would wait till the end of this weekend cause he just bought a new house and he's moving this weekend. So he's probably going to open your message and then forget about it. Good for <laughs> so, him, but also that. That sucks. I hate moving. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, but uh, I've been trying to message him all week, like trying to do this scouting stuff. He's like, sorry, man, I'm so busy fixing my house. I'm like, hey, stop fixing your house. And come on, we got important. We stuff got we got important things to do here. OK, <laughs> I was like, screw your house. I said, you live in a cardboard box for all I care. But we're we're scouting deer today. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on. So 
And it, it's awesome because um, right before he bought that house, I sent him a couple of the areas that I was looking into in South Dakota that I haven't been to. And he went out there and checked it out for me. You know, so. Oh, that's awesome. Because he doesn't live too far from it. So that was, you know, super, super amazing uh, for that to happen. Um, now, I guess the last little thing I wanted to cover with you before we kind of start wrapping this up is your filming setup, you know, and in not necessarily for out West, but when you went to Michigan, what was kind of your, your setup looking like as far as tree stand and what you were bringing into the field for that hunt? But then, you know, your camera setup just in general, like, uh, like how do you how do you operate that and work around that to make sure that you know you're not missing opportunities but you're still trying to get that footage that you want cuz i know it's a balance it's definitely a balance it is it is and and filming has cost me dear i i won't pretend that it hasn't filming has absolutely cost me dear um so i actually upgraded my camera setup um last year so the michigan stuff from 2020 is older uh for that i was i had a tacticam mounted on my bow uh on my stabilizer actually pointed towards whatever i'd be shooting at and those are just a a push button operation so just turn it on when the deer's coming and you're good and then i had a muddy camera arm that i've since replaced with a uh real cheap like 200 dollars canon camera which i've also since replaced and honestly the reason i replaced those is because operating it was a pain um the muddy arm was really heavy compared to what i i currently have and the camera you can't put a remote on it um i could put a mic on it but it had to be an externally powered mic so i had to make sure i had batteries for the mic extra batteries for the camera and it since i couldn't use a remote i couldn't do uh zoom with a remote and honestly the whole system was just a real pain um which is why i upgraded this past year so this this past year i got fancy um i decided i'm i'm definitely going all in on on youtube so for a couple years pretty much up until the fall of 2020 i was kind of passive with youtube i filmed when i wanted to i kind of didn't post super regularly. I think there was a year where I only uploaded like two videos. Um, right. 2020 and 2021, I got real serious. Uh, 2021, we uploaded, I want to say like 35 videos uh, in 2021, including, I think it's 10 animals on film that were shot. Heck yeah. Um, that, that's it. Not to cut you off, but that's impressive, you know, because like, I have some YouTube videos on my YouTube channel and most of them are like tech stuff from back when I was shooting. I think you remember when I was solely shooting trad. I, yep. I only shot trad for like three years and I put out a lot of tech tips cause I, I took to it very, very fast with the traditional stuff and I was very, very accurate, very, very quickly. And people were like, what in the heck are you doing? <laughs> and so I put out a couple of videos and you know, I'd put out like one or two videos and you'd get like 20 views and you're like, eh, maybe this YouTube thing's not for me. And then you put out one video and one of my, I have a video out of all things. It's how I installed my clicker. 
on my bow. It, it's and I have like almost four thousand views on it. It's honestly some of those videos that you don't think are gonna do anything good that do the best. And then there's some of my favorite videos that I've I've done and I think have some of the best content have and then they the flop, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it it's so frustrating, but that that's just kind of how the algorithm works at times. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. But that so, that's really impressive that you were able to put out that many videos and and stick with it because it's the same thing like I had a podcast a couple years ago that I started with two other people. And after a while, you know, I, I was doing all the work and I couldn't really afford to just keep doing it all by myself. So I ended up stopping it. But like, I remember, you know, you post those first two, three podcasts and you get 10 views and you're like, is this a waste of my time? And then, you know, I got about 20 episodes deep and we had over a hundred thousand concurrent views and, and clicks on our podcasts over the course of 20 episodes i had people yep. all over the world listening to the podcast and i was like you know maybe this isn't such a bad thing you know some podcasts some videos they're just gonna flop some of them yep. are gonna do that you know it's just the way it works you know because people click on something that they want the information for you know yep so um yeah absolutely Th this this past year, then, when I decided I was going to get serious, I, I bought an expensive camera. I got um, a Canon HF G50, uh, Rode VideoMic Go for it, um, started filming in 4K, got the computer that can edit the 4K video, um, and I got a fourth arrow camera arm for, for my tree stand. And our, our quality has has really gone up in the last 12 months for videos. Um I going back to like some videos are just going to flop. My favorite video that I have last year isn't even me. I filmed my buddy Derek out in Michigan. He shot his first buck ever. That is like my favorite thing I've ever filmed. That was awesome being there in the tree stand with him, getting him to do it. Right. And that video currently has like 215 views. And then um, I got my, my Pennsylvania rifle black bear on video last year. And that video has just over 20,000 views right now. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's so crazy. Cause like some videos you just like, you, you have a feel for it. Right. And you're going to laugh at me, but all of my videos on my YouTube channel, they are all filmed in 4k, but I filmed every single one of them with my cell phone. Honestly, cell phones, like I've been using mine more and more for, for B roll and, um, there is a guy out there, uh, Chris Leppert, with Fueled by the Outdoors. He's kind of started this, quote, self-filming, but instead of S-E-L-F, it's cell, like cell phone with yeah. an F at the end. And he just films with, with his cell phone in 4K, and he puts out some really awesome videos. Cause yeah, because you can get like, a lot of apps someone... for your phone to do, like, you can connect remotes to Zoom your phone in and stuff. Absolutely. And so if someone wants to get into to filming your hunts cheap and, and good, you don't have to go out and buy a thousand dollar camera like I did. I mean, you can use your phone. You're still going to need a tree arm or something to, to keep it in place, but right, you can, you can go out and do it. Oh yeah, for sure. And you, so for my phone, when I do a lot of like tech tip videos, my thing is, is I do have a camera, but you know, if I'm out at the range and I'm shooting and I think of a tech tip and I'm like, oh, I should make a video on that. 
I, I'm not carrying my camera with me everywhere, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I have a microphone, a Rode microphone that plugs into my phone. So I can have professional mic with 4K quality video. Yep. And it almost just looks like I filmed it on my $1,000 camera, but I'm filming it on my cell phone. I just throw it on my tripod in a in a little cell phone mount and, you know, record my video, go back, listen to it. You know, if I if there's a little too much wind, you know, kind of fudge with it in the editing process and then boom, I have my tech tip and I didn't forget what I wanted to film and I'm still able to put the content out because yep, I don't know if you ran into this issue like before 2021, but like you'll be driving around and you'll be like, oh my God, I have an amazing idea for a video and you have the time, you have the uh, the knowledge to film this video, but then you're like, uh, but I don't know if anybody's going to watch it. I'm not going to record it. And then I, yeah, you, you just, you like run into that situation and you're like, eh, I don't know if anybody's going to listen to that. Or I don't know if anybody's going to want to watch it. I'm not going to put it out. But the more you dive into like YouTube and content creation in general, it's just about just put the content out there. If somebody wants to watch it, they'll watch it. If somebody doesn't want to watch it, they won't watch it. Who cares? Exactly. And I actually not too long ago, I finished a book called uh, the, the YouTube formula. And that really opened my eyes to that where not all your videos are going to do well. And that's just the end of it. But the thing is, every video does help your channel a little bit because it broadens your horizons and gets more people interested. I, I did a video last year. Pennsylvania, uh, our doe tags are one of the few tags. I think it's one of two tags left in the country that you can't apply for online or in person. You have to mail in a doe tag application for Pennsylvania in a verified pink envelope specifically for dotag applications it has to be sent to the county treasurer it has to be sent within a certain time frame and i was seeing a lot of facebook posts about people asking how to do it and i just decided you know what i'll make a video on it it's probably going to get like a hundred views but whatever i'll make a video on it i made a video on it and the application season for pennsylvania is july to like mid-august like early July to mid August mm -hmm. in that time frame last year, that video got almost 5,000 views. And now this year, again, it spiked again and it's gotten almost 4,000 views in that same time frame this year. Right. Off of something. I was like, when I first posted it, people were actually commenting saying, this is the dumbest thing in the world. Why does anybody need this? It's such a simple process. Well, here's 8,000 people that needed it. Well, flip, let's flip the coin you clicked on the video, you know, that yeah, those, yeah, those... well, yeah, you clicked on the video. Why'd you click on it? If it's so dumb? <laughs> yeah. yeah why, why'd you click on it? If you know everything about this, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't watch anything with the ranch fairy on it anymore. Not that in Troy, if you're listening, we're buddies. I talk to you all the time. I love you guy, but I don't watch any of your videos anymore. Cause like, I know about the stuff, you know, I know what he's going to say. I know what he's going to talk about unless he, clickbaits me in there with a with a title that clickbaits me most of the time i'm not watching much of the ranch fairy stuff anymore because i've gotten all that information already you know so yep clearly that guy clicked on the video for a reason right you know it, yep. it wasn't because he didn't know about it you know he probably his his masculine traits 
uh, overwhelmed him and he clicked on the video cause he didn't know how to do it. And then he realized how it was actually a pretty easy process. And then he's like, Oh, I'm going to go shoot down this guy's video. You know, is <laughs> probably what went and down. That happens. So, so often, so often, but you know, uh, I'm sure you've dealt with it previously too. I just kind of ignore the bad comments at this point. It's the internet there's going to be a subset of people that just never have anything nice to say about anything you do. So, well, and I feel like that gets easier as you create more content. You know, I remember when absolutely does when I created my first podcast, I got so much bad feedback on a couple of things because I said one thing that was not right, you know, And it wasn't that it was like not politically correct or like I was hurting somebody's feelings. Like I said something that was misinformation and it wasn't because I was trying to misinform. I just stated the statement. I worded my statement, not the way that I wanted it to come out. You said the Doge chase bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I, uh, I worded the statement in a way that I didn't want to. And I got so much bad feedback for it. And I remembered, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to film another podcast again. I look like an idiot. Nobody's going to believe me. I yada, yada, yada. And I ended up just sitting back down, recording more podcasts and just ignoring it. But that was so hard for such a long time. And now that like I'm starting this podcast and I'm going at it again, it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down, reach out to people that interest me and that I want a better relationship with and sit down and we're going to have a good time. We're going to record episodes. If somebody wants to listen to it, great. If you don't want to listen to it, great. I don't really care. I want to put this content out there because, you know, in 30, 40 years, you're going to be able to listen back to this podcast and go, oh, my God, I remember doing that podcast with Jesse and this was a good time. We we covered some great information or maybe you come back to this Or maybe somebody comes back to this podcast in 10 years and goes, oh, my God, there's some information in there that I can use now, you know? Yep. And so I like it more for, you know, just tracking what I'm doing, you know, like with your YouTube, you can go back in 10 years and watch that Michigan hunt and go, oh, yeah, I remember this buck like it was yesterday. You know, honestly, honestly, I go back and rewatch my own videos, not often, but I at the start of every hunting season, I go back and rewatch them just because it's so fun to, to sit back and relive it. And that's something I've, I've really come to terms with is if you're going to be a content creator in the outdoor space, it is a bit of a flooded market. So you have to do it for oh, yeah. you. Yeah. You have exactly. to do it for you. If you're not doing it for you, you're not going to stick with it. Right. If you're doing it to try to get some free gear or free bows, like you might as well just stop while you're ahead. Cause you're going to be trying way too hard and not getting the results that you want. And another cool thing that I like is when you go back and you watch this content, you know, two years from now, you can see how much you've grown also. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Like you go back to your first video and you're like, oh my God, this editing is cringe, you know? (laughs) And and then you come to the, and then you're like, oh, maybe I could have done this a little bit better. Maybe I could have done that a little bit better. And you can kind of go back and, you know, see this stuff because I'll be honest, I've edited a lot of videos too. Just like you have, you get done editing that video and you're like, oh my God, this video is going to be amazing. And then you go back six months later and you're like, 
oh my god i should have done this 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 and this yep all the time i've <laughs> even gone back so like i said last year we uploaded a ton of videos um uh i uploaded my my main black bear my two maryland seeker deer ryan's maryland seeker deer uh my PA doe, my PA buck, my Michigan doe, my Michigan buck, Derek's Michigan buck, my Pennsylvania black bear, me taking the dog out pheasant hunting. And I go back and watch every single one of those. And I'm like, this video sucks. I mean, it doesn't actually suck, but like compared to where I am just now having edited another two dozen videos, it, it's a night and day difference. And I'm like, it, it's awesome that it's out there. I really like the video, but I would do so much different if I did it now. Right, exactly. And that's just part of growing. And I think it's so important to do that, especially in the outdoor space, because you know as well as I do, we take this stuff so seriously. Like this is this is more than just content creation for us. This is kind of like a way of life for us. Absolutely. And so to share that content creation portion of it with other people you want to make sure it's right, you know? And so I feel like sometimes it, it's really easy for us to beat, beat ourselves up about it or, you know, be afraid of like, you know, you see these Aaron Snyder's Cam Haynes of the world and you're like, oh, I don't want to try to mimic them, but I have some of the same ideals, you know, and it, it can be hard to, to it, kind of balance that. It, it can be, it, it really can be. And yeah, it, it, it's hard not to it's hard not to compare yourselves to those people, but you really can't. Otherwise, you you're never going to go anywhere cuz there is no other campaigns out there. There there is no other Aaron Snyder out there. There is no other um uh Lakoski family out there. Like Right. You you got to be who you are. Yeah, you got to you got to set you your own footprint. They want you to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a crazy, crazy industry. But like you said, if you're not doing it for you, you might as well just stop and just go back to hunting and not creating content. You got to do it for you. Absolutely, because it is a pain. <laughs> right. And, you, and you're going to lose deer over it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to go sleep. to shoot a deer and walked out of frame. Crap. Uh, let down. Move the camera a little bit. Draw back. Walked out of frame again. All right. Draw. Let down. Move the camera a little bit. And now it's out of range. Or, or you do that thing where you like bump it with your elbow. You know, you're like, all right, let's just bump this over here with yep. my elbow. <laughs> little touch. I right. tried doing th this past year. I was so frustrated with myself on that dough I was telling you about with the VPA. I double punched the record button. I have oh, three no. seconds of her walking in, and then she was there with another dough. And I have like 30 seconds of that doe walking away. And I thought of deleting the video, but I, I just decided to post it anyway. Cause that's, it's, it's real. It's what happened. I thought I pushed record. I double punched it, but I was like, so hyped. I was like, this is great footage. I shot the first doe. The second doe just kind of like stood around. I could have shot her if I wanted to. And I thought it was like going to be really awesome footage. And then I look back and I double punched the record button. I was double punching myself the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and I'll tell you what, like I try to film my hunts every single year and I don't put out a lot of hunt videos. I really don't. I don't think I've actually finished editing a single hunt video. Um, not because I don't want to, but because 
I get into a lot of situations where, like you say, you know, I start filming deer walks out of frame. I'm not losing a deer to camera. I'm not going to, Yep. you know, personally, it's not that important. I have the podcast, right? Um, yeah. Plus yeah. my face is way, I have a face for podcasts. <laughs> That's what I always tell people. Honestly, uh, I do too, but I keep throwing it in front of a camera. <laughs> right. I go, I have a face for podcasts. So, and then they're like, that doesn't make sense. Podcasts or audio? I said, exactly. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> and, I'm calling myself ugly. Get the joke. Laugh. Otherwise, it's weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, it's not serious enough to me to put out a video of a hunt to where I'm going to lose an opportunity to the camera. So I just yep. don't. I just don't even worry about it. I just, if the deer walks out of frame and I don't get the shot on film, cool. If I get the shot on film better, that's, that's cool too. But I never stress about that kind of stuff. I just, it's one of those things you can't let it eat you up. Uh, If, if that's the mindset that you have on it, you know, if you really like for you, YouTube is your main platform. So it's, it is kind of important for you to make sure you get that shot on film. Cause that's the part that people really, let's be honest. That's the part that people really want to see. Absolutely. If I go into, um, if I go into my view time for every video, there is always a spike in viewer watch the 10 seconds leading up to the shot and the 10 seconds after the shot. And almost immediately after the shot, there's a massive die off in watchers of the video. Oh yeah. Every single hunting video. hundred percent. And I mean, I'd be lying. You'd, you'd be lying too. If you said that you didn't do that. Oh, I absolutely do it. I, I absolutely do it. I can't blame those people at all, but what that taught me is most of the video needs to be the lead up to the shot after the shot. You're going to lose a lot of, a lot of viewers. So really after the shot, you got to keep the video kind of short and sweet. Right. And you know, so I watched the born and raised guys had a video that they put out a couple months ago. It was like five bulls in 40 minutes or something. And it was basically like a highlight reel of their last season or whatever. Yep. And I'll tell you what, 40 minute video. I am not sitting there watching 40 minutes to watch five bulls die. I skipped right to every single kill shot. Yep. You know, and then one of my favorite portions actually of the video is like the two minutes before the shot, you know, seeing how the hunt unfolded, you know? uh, Yeah. And then the shot and then the after process. I love seeing people get excited. I love people like telling the story because you know, as well as I do that camera captures a lot, but it doesn't capture everything. So hearing the story from them of like maybe what transpired before that record button was hit, I find that very valuable too. Cause a lot of times I use hunting videos to learn new things about, you know, what I might do in a certain area. So I like to listen to that stuff. So I'm not the guy that dies off after the kill shot, but I understand the people that do do that. You know, I, I do too. And I honestly do the same thing. Every time I go and hunt a new area, I will actually search YouTube and chat forums for people who have hunted that area before, because uh, I find YouTube videos particularly helpful because you can get a good lay of the land right. um, and kind of a, an understanding of the animals you expect to run into and how the hunt unfolded. But even on chat forums, guys, will give out some some really valuable information. And I'm not talking spots. I'm talking like telling you that 
oh yeah we found water on this patch of prairie two miles deep or oh there were no deer in the timber you had to go up to the high country to find the deer stuff like that right and i i think stuff like that's really valuable but um i i love watching people get excited i don't know if you've watched uh the video of derek shooting shooting his buck um or the video of me shooting my turkey this spring but either one of those like the raw emotion after the shot in those is i i love it especially derek's like right just being there for his first buck and and seeing the look on his face like he was i i can't even explain like the amount of happiness that he had and i wish i would have filmed even more than i did because like yeah that was the highlight of my season last year i killed eight animals across four states and the highlight of my season wasn't even my own kill right exactly (laughs) and you know going back to what you were saying about like forms and stuff and other content creators i don't know if you know who brady miller is he's the digital marketing manager or digital content creation manager at go hunt he's a huge mule deer nut huge mule is deer he nut. is he in some of the go hunt videos yeah he's the tall like dirty redhead like, oh, okay. like the dirty yep, red hair like the darker yep. it's not like bright red hair but it's kind of like a mixture of brown and red and he's got the long beard kind of tall skinny guy yep uh so that guy if you message him on any social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, uh, wherever you can find him, if you message him and you're like, hey, man, I'm hunting mule deer in this state, this general area, what can I, in this time frame, do you have any tips for me? He'll send you like four paragraphs worth of information. And he'll handwrite every every single thing. He's not he's not like copy pasting anything. He's like he'll be like, yeah, I've hunted that area that time of year. It'd be good to you know uh, the deer are going to be held up in these kind of locations. You're really going to want to focus in on that. And then if you if that's not working, I would go to this. And he he just puts out such good information, and he doesn't ask for anything in return. He just wants to create better mule deer hunters, right? And that's that's awesome. And he's he's a huge guy in the industry. You know, he's he's a very popular guy. He's got over 100,000 followers on Instagram and he always replies to my messages the same day. You know, and I I've found that people that get high in this industry, either one of two things happens. They're either incredibly humble and very helpful. What he's doing and <laughs> yeah. very helpful or they are like the most self-absorbed people you will ever meet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the there's a podcast on the Randy Newberg podcast that he I did. I love his podcast. He did it like nine years ago. It's like a nine-year-old podcast, but you can search it in his podcast list. It's um, every everything you need to know about hunting mule deer or, or something along those lines. And it's with Brady. And it's like a two and a half hour long podcast. And Brady is just spewing information about, all right, this state, this state, this state are really easy to get into for mule deer. He doesn't give out any units. He doesn't blow out anybody's spots. He doesn't do any of that. But he gives you a whole breakdown on how to hunt mule deer every single year efficiently and on a budget. 
And then uh, like the back half of the podcast. So that's like the whole front half of the podcast. The back half of the podcast is all about his strategies on how he e-scouts, how he hunts him when he's in the field, uh, like things that he picks up on. And Brady shot like three or four 200 inch mule deer. So the guy knows what he's talking about, you know? Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and he shot, he shot a pile of them with a bow. I know he shot at least six or seven 170 inch mule deer with a bow. Um, so he knows his stuff. And that's why if I'm ever going to a new area, like I reached out to him about this South Dakota thing, he hasn't hunted South Dakota, but he knows the terrain and he gave me all of the information I could ever ask for of stuff to focus in on. And I was like, dude, this is really helpful. I sent him some Google earth images. He'll edit the Google earth image, draw lines, draw things, make notes, and then send it back to you. Like he's, he's such a wealth of information and we need more people like that in the industry that are like willing to help. There's so many people that don't want to help because of like their position in the industry. They don't want their spots or their content to get blown out. Right. Uh, if they, you know, slip up and say the wrong thing, but Brady and go hunt the go hunt team in general, their whole goal is to, you know, get you out West, get you on more hunts, you know, having success. So he's all about it. that's that's really awesome yeah like yeah we need more people like that i agree well we're going on two hours so um, wow i didn't realize it'd been that long (laughs) (laughs) we're going on two hours so uh any closing thoughts as we kind of close out here no man uh i think this has been an awesome discussion yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to to seeing your success this fall and uh, listening into to a bunch more podcasts. Hopefully, uh, maybe after the season, we can come back on and talk hunting a little bit more. Talk about what worked for us this oh, fall. For what sure. didn't. Especially, I'd I'd love to talk mule deer after after both of our hunts and kind of kind of break that down some more. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I I love mule deer hunting. I like. If I could, if I had to choose between elk and mule deer, I'd choose mule deer every time. Honestly, I would. That I, <laughs> that says something. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just something about their antlers, dude. It's something about their antlers and the country that they live in. They live everywhere from desert to high country. It's just I don't know what it is, but I'm just addicted to the mule deer. I don't know why. I just I was a big fan of South Cox for a long time, and that guy's a mule deer freak. So. Yep. I think that's what really sparked the interest in it. But I know that if I didn't say something about us talking for two hours, we'd probably sit here for another two. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But Zach, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a really good discussion. We'll definitely have to link up at the end of season Uh, for people that want to look at your Instagram, YouTube and all that stuff. uh, I will have it linked in the description below, but Zach, why don't you go ahead and plug that? real quick before we uh take off here yeah so uh thanks everybody for listening to this point if you're you're still around hopefully you are um my youtube is uh move outdoors just m-o-v-e outdoors um instagram for for us is at move outdoors official uh facebook's just move outdoors and then my personal instagram uh if you guys want to send me a follow is Zach M underscore 16. 
Perfect. Again, Zach, I really want to thank you for coming on. It was awesome. We had a good time and we're definitely going to have to link up at the end of the season for everybody else. Absolutely. For everybody else. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. If you guys got any questions on anything, feel free to shoot me a message. Uh, we'd love to cover it in a podcast. Uh, if there's anything that you really want to hear or, or listen into, uh, I think between me, Gavin and Zach, we probably know somebody in the industry that can answer the questions uh, somewhere along the lines and we can get them on the podcast and do a show. So without further ado, Zach, again, thanks. And we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Peace.